Welcome to the Grace Church's podcast. The message you are about to hear was recorded live during our Sunday service. Follow along with the message by downloading our app, available for both Apple and Android phones. And now, for our message. Well, this morning... We're not going to start a new series just yet. I'm going to give you what we call a standalone message. It's not part of any larger. Um, it's not part of any larger set of teachings that I'm doing, but it really is. It has a lot to do with the giving that I just talked about. I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about giving. Um, several years ago, in another church that Susan and I were a part of, I did some teachings, and the name of the series of that message was worth, was this. It was the upside down ways of God. Because if you realize that when you read your Bible, what you, what you will come to find out is that so much of what is written in this book is countercultural to what we see around us in the world. And the more we dig into God's word, the more we realize that the way that the world is, if the world is right side up, which by the way it isn't, but if the world is right side up, then everything that God does is upside down. Nearly everything. As a matter of fact, they're almost like polar opposites. Let me give you a couple of examples to start with. First of all, when, when the world says, you know, do the minimum required, did you, is that a concept that is out there? Anybody ever, like, just, just do the basic, just do the, 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 the least you have to do. One of my children, who shall remain, remain nameless, we have this running joke in our family that when an assignment would come to this non-specific gender person, I'm not going to mention, because I have boys and girls, And it said, this paper needs to be between three and five pages. This particular son, oops, I let it slip. (laughs) He would always say, three pages it is. Because we want to do the minimum, right? That's just the way that it, we like, what's the minimum I have to do to get by? What's the minimum? In the kingdom, that's the culture. In the kingdom, we turn, we, we go the extra mile, right? We, we are willing to go beyond what is required for the sake of having influence, that makes sense? The culture, says, the culture says reality is only what you can see with your eyes, hear with your ears, touch with your hands, smell with your nose, and so forth. The kingdom reality is, is that there are things that we cannot see that are more real than the things that are, that are visible to us. The culture says leaders are always on top. And they lord it over, as Jesus said, those who are underneath of them. The kingdom says if you want to be a leader, you have to find your place lifting up others and getting underneath of them and serving them and washing their feet. The kingdom is opposite of the culture. Write this down if you're taking the notes this morning on the app or in your grace guide. The kingdom of God is upside down. The kingdom of God is upside down. As a rule of thumb, if you want to know what the kingdom way of doing something is, look at the prevailing winds of culture, see which way they're blowing, and then walk into them, and you will find the kingdom of God, because culture never blows in the direction of the kingdom. It always blows away. So turn and go in, and you'll find it. So this morning, I want to talk about one of these upside-down principles, in specific about, about the concept or the principle of giving. So if you would turn in your Bibles or on your, if you have a device you're going to use this morning, turn to Luke chapter 6, Gospel of Luke chapter 6, third gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke. This is an entire, this whole chapter is upside down. 
<clears throat> this whole chapter is, is, is a study in things that are backward from the way that the world expresses them. Luke 6 is a partial rendering of what we would know as the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. This is Luke teaching some of those same principles, some of those same ideas in his own way, adding his own texture and, and, and bent on them from what Jesus said. Nearly, nearly the entire chapter, as I said, is ironic. It's, it's paradoxical. A lot of the things that Jesus says are good in the passage are actually things that are bad in the natural and vice versa. For example, he says, he says if you're poor, you get God's kingdom. Well, in the natural, being poor is not a good thing. But Jesus says don't, that's, there's actually some real upside to not having wealth. It says in the text, Jesus says, if you're hungry, you're eventually going to be satisfied. Well, being hungry is never, especially in my house, is never a good thing. Does anybody here get hangry ever? If Susan had three arms, she could lift them all at one time. It says in the text, if you're, if you're hungry, you will be satisfied. Something that's negative turns into something that's positive. If you're weeping, he says, you're going to eventually laugh. And on and on and on it goes. Well, in the middle of the, in the, middle of the chapter, there are two verses. And we're just going to look at two verses this morning. I know that's a, a lot less text that we normally look at. But I want to really take time and develop them. Verses 37 and 38 of Luke chapter 6. And I'm going to read them to you out of the English Standard Version this morning. Here's what it says. Jesus speaking to the crowds and to his disciples, he says, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Verse 37 talks about three concepts. It talks about judgment, talks about condemnation, and it talks about forgiveness. And I want you to see, there's a, Jesus always says a lot with a few words, so we're not gonna get into all of everything that's there, but let me just say this. There's a pattern in the way that he is speaking. He says, do something or don't do something, and a particular desirable result will come. So in regard to judgment, he says, do not judge, and you will not be judged. So we're told not to do something, and we will avoid judgment. He says, don't condemn and you won't be, will avoid condemnation. So it's a cause and effect relationship. Finally, he says, forgive and you will be forgiven. So forgive is a positive thing, something we actively do and we will receive forgiveness. You see the cause and effect in each of those. Now, we leave judgment and condemnation to God because that is ultimately his role. Would you turn to the person next to you and say, that's his role? Please don't misunderstand the text. That doesn't mean that we are, we are incapacitated and unable to say when something is wrong that that is wrong. That's not the same thing as judgment. Judgment has to do with pronouncing sentence. And we are not in the place of judge. God alone is the judge. But we can look at things that are happening around us and say, that's not right. That's not the same thing as judging. So when people say to you, oh, it says in the scriptures you're not supposed to judge. Yes, in the sense of being able to condemn something fully from the position of God on his throne, you're absolutely right. But am I allowed to look at my life or someone else's life and say, wow, this doesn't really line up with the scripture? Absolutely we are. But it's his role to judge. Now, forgiveness, that's our role, right? It says forgive and you will be forgiven. Turn to the person next to you and say, our role is for forgiving. Our role is for forgiving, right. So God's doing the judging and the condemning. We're doing the forgiving because we have been forgiven by God. And in verse 38, the, the, the text shifts and it starts talking about giving, 
And the cool thing about this particular passage is you've got, don't, ju- don't judge, you won't be judged. Don't condemn, you won't be condemned. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. And it, what naturally should follow is give and you will receive. But that's not all that's there. Look what verse 38 says. Let me read it to you again. It says, give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. We pour it into your lap or put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, sometimes people are extra spiritual. Raise your hand if you've ever met an extra spiritual person. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? Sometimes people are so spiritual that they can't just take something that, that, that's a really good deal from God and say, thank you, God. For example, like sometimes people say, well, I give, but I don't really want anything in return. I just want to give. That sounds really spiritual, but according to chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 38, we're allowed to expect God not only to give back to us when we give, but to give to us in a way that is not meager, that is super abundant. Look what, look what Jesus says there. He doesn't just say give and it'll be given to you. He says give and it'll be given to you. And let me tell you about how you're going to get it. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over into your lap. You get all of this when we walk in this particular, in this particular principle. I love that. There are so many good reasons to give. And of course, you wouldn't only want to just give so that you could receive back. But the reality is, that's what God's word says. And we're allowed to expect him to take care of us when we give. Write this down this morning, if you would. We give by faith and we give in obedience. But we also give with the expectation that we will be provided for. This concept, and don't get nervous. I'm not going to talk about tithing the whole time. But this concept is a New Testament version of the tithe. Because when you think about what Malachi says about the tithe, says, you know, bring your tithe into the storehouse. And what he, God says is that I'll open the windows of heaven and I will shower blessing upon you. You bring something in and he dumps this blessing on you. It's the exact same thing Jesus is saying. When you give, you're going to be retur- you're, it's going to be returned to you, but it's going to be returned to you in abundance. It's huge. It's a mystery. It's powerful. It's miraculous. But it works every single time. I always feel bad for people that are like, well, I don't have to tithe to, you know, be a follower of Jesus. And I always think, no, you don't. But man, you totally are missing out. It's like one of the things, you want to experience the miraculous? Trust God with your money. It's just one of those places that he delivers in a tangible way where you can always be like, oh, there he did it again. Oh, and there's the crazy thing. It never will work on paper. It never works on paper, but it always works. It is a miraculous experience to trust God in that way. It's transformational. The thing that I love most about this particular passage is the fact that, that, that the Lord gives us this summary statement at the end of verse 38. He says, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So if you give a little, you get a, a little. This is an easy concept. If you give a lot, you will get a lot. Now, then the question always comes in, well, well, you know, can I just, like, it's like a get rich, like, this should be like an infomercial on TV at 11 o'clock at night, like, well, here's what you do to get money, you just give money away, and God will always return it to you, and I just want to caution you, it's not, God's not a vending machine, it doesn't work that way, think of the, think of the hubris to be able to think that we could say to God, I'm going to use your principle against you to make me rich, Ooh, that's a really bad place to be, We don't do this because we want God to make us rich, but we do. Please don't shy away from embracing the principle that when we trust him with what he says in his word, he will take care of us, and it will always be more than what we've been able to secure on our own. It is the principle. 
To use a farming analogy, let me take one more angle on this before we go forward. A farming analogy would be with this. If we sow a little bit of wheat, how much of a harvest are we going to get? A little bit. If we sow a lot of wheat, we're going to get a lot of harvest on this side in wheat, right? Another question. If I sow wheat, should I expect corn to come out on the other side? No. Of course not. So there is a connection between what we actually sow and what we receive back. Because all people say to me, well, you know, I gave a lot of money, but I never got rich. And I didn't get a winning lottery ticket or anything. Maybe God's rewarding me in some other way. And certainly, he is on his throne. He can do whatever he wants. But I will say this to you, that there is a connection between the thing that you sow and the thing that you receive. It's in nature. It's in all of, in all of creation. So to think that I'm only going to give something financial and I'm going to receive something that's not financial is inconsistent with what the rest of the teaching of Scripture is. Write this down if you would. Number three on your, on your list this morning. Generous financial giving results in abundant financial provision. One way or the other. You're thinking, why is he telling us all this this morning? I'm, it's going to make sense in a little bit. Stick with me. Don't leave. Generous financial giving results in abundant financial provision. Now, if I, if I believe this passage of Scripture, and if I apply these these. these teachings in my own life personally with my own giving, whether I'm talking about giving money or I'm talking about giving my time, talking about giving other resources, I will have transformational things take place in my life. God will honor his word. There will be amazing stories that come out of it. And that is true for you too. If you do this, and some of you are probably thinking, I don't even know if I believe, listen, trust me. If you do this, you will never be sorry. I can introduce you to dozens of people in this church, probably hundreds of people in this church that would say, I can't afford not to trust God with this principle because my whole life is, is, is kind of built on him honoring his word in this way. But the same thing is also true for us as a congregation. That as we as a congregation give, we trust the Lord to give back to us and to provide for the things that we need as a congregation as well. And that is what I actually want to talk to you about this morning. Because about a year and a half ago, I began, um, I began interacting with our church council. Our church council is, a, is kind of like an advisory board. They, they interact with me. We talk about the finances and the HR parts of the church and the building and facilities and all that stuff. And um, I, I had come to them and I had said, I, I really feel like we need to do some kind of like some sprucing up around Grace Church. Like we need, to, we need to do some painting and we need to, you know, get some new carpet and we, we probably need to look at chairs at some point. And when I started to share this with the church council, they were, um, they were very open. But even, you know, when you talk to somebody and they're like with you, but they're not like all the way with you, it just felt like, yeah, okay, we hear what you're saying, Tim, but it didn't feel like they were like fully on board. So you know what I did? I slammed my hand down. I said, I'm the pastor. No, I didn't do that. I said, you know what? Why don't we do this? Why don't we just take a couple of months and pray about it? So we did. We, the council backed off. I backed off. We did. They were, they were great, but it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel peaceful. So we get back together a couple of months later, and I feel like the Lord spoke to us. And I want to tell you as a congregation what I feel like the Lord is leading us into as a congregation. We committed this matter to prayer, and we, and we began um, to, as, we, as we sought the Lord, he began to speak. And this is what I feel like the Lord spoke to us. I feel like that he said this to us. And we're using it as kind of a guiding word right now for our church family in regard to finances. This is what he said. He said, take care of others first. Take care of others first. Now, now let me be real clear about something. 
it's not sinful or wrong to paint the walls in a church or to get new chairs or even to add on to the church or expand it. None of that stuff is wrong. Would you turn to the person next to you and say, none of that stuff is wrong? We do the same thing in our homes, right? I mean, I haven't been to all of your houses. I've been to a bunch of your houses, but most of you don't have the same couch that you had in 1978. You've done some upgrades since then. And I know there's somebody sitting here thinking, yeah, we still have the same couch from 1978. I'm sorry for you. <clears throat> most of us gave that couch to a college student a long time ago, and we've kind of upgraded and made things nice. With there's not, I want you to understand, there's nothing wrong with the ideas behind sprucing up a building or adding on to a building or doing other things that create more spaces for people to, to, to use this tool for ministry and for people to come to Christ. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But what the Lord has said to us was, take care of other people first. And over time, as, we, as that kind of got developed in our conversation, I feel like it's even bigger than it. It's take care of other people first and take care of other people who are not like you first. Okay. Because I have an affinity, I'm a certain age, and this is a certain kind of church, and it would make a lot of sense to give to other ministries and churches that are like us. And I felt like the Lord specifically said, don't do that. Go outside of the, the ethnic you know, familiarity that you're with, or even the theological bounds that you'd be most comfortable with, and find others to partner with in ministry. And so I want to announce to you this morning, we have two partnerships that have just started here at Grace. They were on the screen, and I want to talk about them, and I want to bring you into some of what's happening behind the scenes. As we trust the Lord with Luke chapter 6, verse 38, we give that it will be given to us. We give to someone else. We take care of someone else first. The first one is, and Susan said to me, I said to her after first service, um, I always say like, hey, anything I should not say or should say, sometimes she'll say like, the list is too long, don't worry about it. But, but, she, but usually she's like, no, it was fine or whatever. And today she goes, I wish you'd had pictures. And I'm like, ah, yeah, I needed to have done that. So I'll try to get some pictures of these two ministries soon. But the first one is called Freshwater Church. Freshwater Church is a Baptist church in the northwest part of Springfield. And Freshwater Church is located in the Tom Watkins neighborhood of Springfield, an area with 2,200 homes and only one church, Freshwater. It's not even a church building. They meet in Williams Elementary School. They're about seven years old. And we have, through prayer, decided to partner with them because it's their goal is to reach those 2,200 homes in that specific Tom Watkins neighborhood with the gospel and with a whole lot of other help. And... Um, their pastor, J.T. Patton, has become a friend of mine. I've met him. We meet regularly. He is a man of God, for real. And I said to him, hey, buddy, I know that we don't see everything theologically the same way. And he's like, nope, we don't. And I said, but we both want to see people come to Christ that don't know Christ. He says, yes, we do. And I said, we want to partner with you and stand behind you. And hear, hear me on this. We are not going to help them showing up in our Grace Church t-shirt, Grace Church t-shirts, as the wealthy church from the south side going up to help a poorer church in the north side. We're coming up there to celebrate and to get behind and to elevate everything that they are doing to reach their community. We just want to give them money and give them resources and give them our hands as they try to reach the folks that are there. We're going to do that through working with them as they minister to the elementary school community. You know, interestingly, I was processing this and I realized that our, our local elementary school that feeds from this area is right on Fremont. It's Disney Elementary. Disney Elementary is a great school, but Disney Elementary has no shortage of people volunteering 
and giving of themselves and pouring out resources. Seminole Baptist Church, just up the street from us, is a sponsoring church for them. They, they go all out to make Disney Elementary School bless, uh, blessed by the Lord. I love that. Let me just give you a little bit of contrast. Williams Elementary School doesn't even have a PTA. There's nobody investing up there. And my friend J.T. Patton, the pastor, he said, I've told the school, whenever there's a need, I want you to come to us first. Let us be the one that meets the need. If it's for your classrooms, teachers, if it's for students that need things, let us be the place that you go first. And I, when I heard that's hard, I was like, we gotta get a part. We wanna be a part of that. We wanna be that kind of a church that's meeting those kinds of needs. Not anything against anything else that anybody else is doing, but, but through COVID, Pastor J.T.'s church lost all of its partners. Just different things went on, but they gained one back in the last couple of weeks with Grace Church. The second ministry is called Elevate Lives. Elevate Lives is a, is a ministry on the north side of town also, and their, their, their vision is really simple. They get people that are not at the, at the, that have been vetted by other ministries that are moving out of poverty already. They've got some, got some things going. Maybe they've got a job or they're just starting their journey out of poverty, out of, out of getting um, in the worst of situations. So they're not like a mission kind of a ministry, but rather what they do is they take small groups of people, they call them family members, which is cool, and they take family members through an 18 to 24 month journey of discipleship where they teach them how the basic principles of following the Lord, but also relationship, you know, principles and vocational skills and money handling skills and they get them to a place where they're able to to take care of their own lives financially and they put them in housing that is reduced for their level of income as they are crawling their way out of poverty with the goal being that after eight you know a year or so in one of their homes that they pay almost nothing to live in that they're able to get themselves into an apartment or even buy a house they're the middle piece between you know absolute the just getting you through the day with something to eat, the middle piece between that and being functioning and fully flourishing in a community, they're right there in the center. They have 21 homes that are either occupied or in the process of being rehabbed for people to live in. And so I, I'm talking with, with Russ Goslin, the, the executive director and CEO, I, he took me on a little ride around and he took me into one of the, the houses that was under construction. And I was like, to be honest with you, it was one of the roughest houses I'd ever been in. And I was looking around at the, wall, at the walls and the floor, and he said, a month ago when we got this house, because they buy them pretty cheaply because they're condemned usually. He said, a month ago when we got it, there was trash about three feet high all across the floor in this place. And it was just riddled with, with, um, with mice and all kinds of nastiness. And he said, people come in with shovels and probably hazmat suits and clean all that stuff out. And that they will do, he took me to another one that was finished, and they're beautiful. They're homes that you and I would be like, man, I'll live here in a second. Nice appliances, everything's clean, everything works, everything's beautiful. And they let these folks live there as they're getting out of poverty. And when I was with Pastor, or with Russ, he's a former pastor, actually a former Foursquare pastor, I said, I, I, we, we wanna be involved in this. We wanna partner with you somehow. It'll be giving money, but it'll also be maybe us being some of the ones that go and fix up some of these houses and clean them out and make a space for someone that can't afford their own space. Grace Church in the last month has sown $5,000 into these two ministries, which is not a, a huge, huge amount. But again, it is seed that we are sowing outside of the walls of this body. We are taking care of others first, and it's not the end. We are going to continue to do that. Um, we want to be obedient to what he is saying to do. We want to work alongside these folks, and we want to trust the Lord to take care of the things that we need. So at some point, we'll probably have new chairs, and at some point, we'll probably have new paint. At some point, you might have new carpet. 
But that's not a priority right now on the front burner. That's a back burner. The front burner is how can we give some of what we've been so blessed with to others to help move them forward in their calling. I want us, and we're gonna pray in just a moment here, but I want us to, um, I want us, of course, to, to spruce up our space and to make this place nicer and maybe even to expand it at some point in the future. But first, I want us to be able to love and serve other people whom we share a city with though we don't share a street with them. And I want us to move as a congregation into a season where we become the answer to other people's prayers. Pastor JT said to me the other day we were meeting, he said, we have been praying as a congregation that others would come alongside of us and partner. And I was able to look at him and say, we've been praying for a place to partner with another ministry in the city and we get to be the answer in part to your congregation's prayers. We just sat there grinning at each other like two fools. But it was a beautiful thing that the Lord is orchestrating this and, and other things that will come in the future. So I, I want us to pray. I want us to pray together. It feels like we're at a starting line ready to do something new. I'm excited about what Grace is, what hap, what's happening here at Grace in the building. And I'm certainly excited about the ways that we're, we're ministering and investing around the world through missions. That's absolutely critical. But right now it feels like we're being led into a season of filling the gap between here and the ends of the earth, right in, in this city of Springfield. And so I'm excited about that. So would you stand with me? We're gonna pray together. Before we do... So I don't, I don't even have all the details. Like, I don't even know what it looks like exactly other than we're gonna keep sowing seed financially and we're gonna keep sowing our lives into these ministries. And there's gonna be others as well. There's church plants that we're gonna be supporting and um, we're praying about um, partnering with churches of another ethnicity, you know, Spanish-speaking church or something else like that. Just, again, people that we probably don't have a ton in common with, but that for the sake of the calling of God upon our lives that we're saying we want to be your partner. I don't even know exactly what it looks like, but before we pray, if you're here this morning and you, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, like you don't have, we're talking about all of this and I've been speaking to believers, but if you're here and you, you don't have that kind of a connection with the Lord, you don't know him personally, the very thing that we celebrated this morning with those water baptisms is the biggest point of all. The reason we're gonna partner with Elevate Lives and Freshwater Church and others is because we wanna see more people say yes to Christ. Yes, we're gonna give food. Yes, we're gonna, we're gonna, um, we're gonna do uh, things that help like, make these buildings better. We're gonna partner in other ways. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is that people say yes to Jesus. If you're here and you haven't ever said yes to Christ, I wanna pray with you. I want one of our elders to pray with you. Would you please, after, after I get done praying here, would you just come forward? We'll be here, we won't embarrass you, but we wanna introduce you to the one who changed all of the rest of our lives. And he did. Would you pray with me? Family, would you, if you're comfortable, would you just open your hands like this as a way of showing surrender? Lord, it is a humbling thing to be part of a church family like this that is fired up about following you and excited about doing things in the kingdom way, not the cultural way. And so, Lord, we, we, we pray this passage of Luke 6, 38, over this congregation. Lord, may we be extravagant givers. Lord, may we just kind of go crazy with generosity without ever worrying for a second about our needs because we trust that you'll provide for us. We know that you will. Lord, we're all standing here, evidence of your provision. May we just be extraordinarily generous 
with what you're doing in our city. Lord, we pray for Freshwater Church this morning. We pray for Elevate Lives, this this housing and and discipleship ministry. Lord, may these strategic partnerships continue to evolve. May we be able to, as a congregation, make a difference in so many more lives because we've chosen to walk with others who have your heart. We pray that, that as we step across this starting line, it would be the beginning of a long race, Lord, not a short sprint. And we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus today. Amen. Amen. You can keep your hands in front of you. I want to bless you before you go this morning. Grace Church family, Grace Church friends, visitors, guests, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus, receive this blessing. Amen. We trust that this message made a difference in your life. If you would like more information about Grace Church, be sure to connect with us by visiting grace417.com or connect with us by filling out a connection card on our app.